Hello and welcome to Get Object, where today we're going to be talking to Nels Anderson. Um, he is currently at Sonderlust Studios, where he's working on a project that they haven't announced yet. But he, he's known for for working on some uh, really cool games. Um, he's he was one of the designers on Firewatch. Uh, been out for some years now, but I think Reese just recently came out on Game Pass, so some people may have been. Uh, revisiting that he was also the designer of mark of the ninja which is a very cool 2d stealth game that i that i would recommend um and yeah Nels has, has gone to talk to me uh about about some of his work um we spend quite a lot of this episode i would say primarily focused on talking talking about firewatch though we did we do touch on some other stuff too and um in particular we we talk a bit about the radio from firewatch um, just in case those of you don't know, Firewatch is a game where you are a fire watchman out in the wilderness in Wyoming, um, and you, your only way of, kind of communicating with people in the game is through a, a handheld radio. So, yeah, it's kind of a story-based game when you're you're trekking about in the wilderness and you you're periodically talking with with some with a your supervisor on the radio. So yeah, we we spend quite a lot of time talking about that. I've made a video. Um, focused in on that part with with some clips from this interview so you you can find that on the youtube channel if if you'd like to see that but um yeah this is a a kind of expanded version of this conversation where we we touch on a lot of other stuff as well so yeah that's i think that's all i need to say about that and i'll leave you now with a with the conversation with nels joining me now is nels anderson uh, he's joining us from uh, Sunderlust Studios. This is his current place where he's working, but uh, obviously been many video game developers beforehand. Uh, thank you very much for coming to talk to me, Nels. Of course, my pleasure. Um, something I've got to ask you about quickly before I start talking to you about video <laughs> games, because uh, I saw it on the Sunderlust page, uh, is that you're... Because uh, I'm into bouldering, and I noticed that you're... you're oh, a, yes. You're, uh, what type of climbing are you into? Uh, same, bouldering. Um, oh, cool. Although, un- unbelievably, I, I actually, a buddy of mine, um, Quentin Smith uh, of Shut Up and Sit Down and a bunch of other board, board, more board game, but also he does some video game stuff too. Yeah. Um, he got me into it when he was out here in Vancouver, like genuinely probably like five and a half, maybe six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely love it. Because uh, it's just like it's just problem solving with your body, but you also get exercise at the same time. It's great. Um, yeah, yeah. I only you... ever, at least so far, I've only ever climbed indoors. Like there is, I'm lucky enough that there's uh, a a bunch of climbing gyms here in town. There's a great one called the Hive, which is genuinely like four blocks that way. <laughs> okay. Um, but in December of last year, I injured my rotator cuff or something somehow. Still uh... unclear how. Um, and, uh, I'm now on physiotherapist, the fourth, trying to figure out what is going on and making it better. I think, I think I've found, I still don't know what it is, but I think I found the person who will be able to help me figure it out. And so hopefully I'll be able to return to climbing soon, but I haven't been able to climb for, yeah, like nine months and it sucks. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's hard. Yeah. I've only ever bouldered indoor so far Mm -hmm. uh, as of yet as well. Yeah. I think because I've I've had some uh, shoulder pains as well um, since I started. I think it can kind of reveal problems that you have because, you know, like always sitting at desks and stuff, it Uh like messes with your posture. And then when you start 
building up some shoulder muscles you, it starts revealing some imbalances i feel like or something like I, that. I don't know. maybe maybe that's actually not a bad theory for what happened because i don't you know i'm like well i was doing more exercise than before there wasn't like you know some acute thing where i like you know, beefed it off the wall or whatever and like crunched my shoulder weird i just yeah, yeah, literally yeah. one day i was like my shoulder hurts all the time now <laughs> um uh behold the ravages of time um <laughs> That's actually maybe not a bad working theory for for what happened. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I love it. It's 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 simultaneously satisfying because like you 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 physically experience the progress, right? We're both yeah. like better at it in general, but even any specific problem where when you start, you're like, wait a minute, how could this is impossible? Nobody yeah. could ever do this. This is madness. And you try it and you fall off a bunch of times. But then you figure out, it's like, oh, wait a minute. If I just turn this way, then I can hold this and reach for this thing. You're like, okay, maybe I can do it. And then you do it. And then you finish that one route and you're like, I am the greatest human that has ever existed. No one is as excellent as I am. (laughs) And then you look over and there's some, you know, like seven-year-old just climbing up the wall using holds that are like the size of like you know eraser heads and you're like yeah. okay never mind i'm actually i'm gonna be terrible forever and that's also kind of fine and wonderful um that yeah. all the progress just lives in you but it's never gonna be a thing that i know i'm never gonna be like a world-class climber right um yeah. and so it's just like a thing that i enjoy that i get to be good at but not amazing at but i can slowly get better it's great i love it i love it so much oh, yeah. and I, I miss it dearly and i want my stupid shoulder to return to operating like a normal one so i can just go bloody climbing again <laughs> oh yeah no yeah like you said it's it's super um yeah it's really compared to like some other stuff it's really easy to see your progress because like you said you, mm-hmm. you can go from you can go from like yeah a, a, yeah a specific route that seems impossible and then one mm-hmm. week later you manage to do it and and the progress is so obviously there to see whereas like yeah in some other spots it's a bit harder to track your progress and you can you can actually feel it like oh mm-hmm. I got better <laughs> at doing yeah, this totally. at doing this yeah maybe just I got better this specific thing this specific mm-hmm. route but that now means I'm I'm better yeah it's really yeah cool. I mean anyway. I don't know how how the places you've gone are laid out but at least at the hive you know all the routes are colored like the holds are all like some are purple, so it has nothing to do with difficulty, but that's like their like content cycling system where, you know, any particular week they're like, okay, this week we're changing out all the black routes. So okay. then all the black ones will be up for, you know, like three weeks, four weeks, six yeah. weeks, however long. I don't know how their internal cycling system yeah, yeah. goes. But so there'll be some problem you're working on and like you're trying to get it, but then there's also this implicit timeline at the end. And yeah, sometimes... Yeah, yeah. You just don't get that problem. You're like, well, I never finished that one. And then it comes down off the wall and it's just gone forever. And then you just kind of have to accept that. And that's also yeah. actually nice and kind of yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah. in like in like a challenging way. It's yeah, I I love it. Well, it's yeah, like you said, it makes it then more it makes it satisfying when when you come to another one that you've been working on. You're like, I want to finish it before they and then you get it. Like Yeah, exactly. Right? Take it away. You're like, yeah, I did now, it just just in time. Yeah, yeah it's very good. But anyway, I'll move on in case the people who are interested in climbing have already turned off. Um, yeah. Um, so I think uh, I'll, I'll start with the, the theme of the podcast and start asking you uh, about uh, a video game object, um, which is one of my games you worked on, uh, Firewatch. 
which is the the well, I, I, could, I don't know whether to call it the walkie-talkie or handheld radio or whatever. I like walkie-talkie. Yeah, uh, that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I guess, I guess the, the the first thing I want to ask you about that is uh, how that came into into the game because obviously there's a process of coming up with the idea of the game and I don't know what came first the story the setting and at some point you've got the idea of this is a thing that's going to be in the game so yeah you, to the extent that you I can mean, remember if you can yeah, yeah 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 I mean the genesis of like anything Firewatch related at all um came from uh Sean Vanham and Jake Rodkin who were the two of the first people at Campo Santo along with myself and Ollie Moss um and so both Sean and I completely independently, we didn't know this until like I heard him mention it on like a, at like a GDC panel, like 2011 or whatever, but we both grew up in Wyoming. Um, if you were to basically, like I grew up in Jackson, uh, I was born and raised there. Sean only moved to Wyoming when he was like four or five or whatever. So okay. it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he grew up in Cody and those are both like Jackson's on the south side of Yellowstone and... Cody's on the east side. And if you were to like draw a straight line in between Jackson and Cody, right in the middle of that line is the Shoshone National Forest where Firewatch is set. Okay. Um, so growing up there, you know, Sean had seen like old fire lookout towers. They're just in the woods, right? Um, and so somehow in the back of his head, he like that was like, oh, there's something interesting we could do with like that. But the basically aside from just you're a guy who takes a job as a fire lookout because to be determined stuff happens and then we as this was like both <laughs> form following from function um but we knew that like there is no way a small team making an independent video game could afford to have like a character that was modeled and would walk around and talk and all this stuff so we're like okay we need some way for there to be somebody there needs to be another voice in the game so you're not just like a weirdo monologuing out in the woods to yourself the whole time for the entire video game, right? And it's like, oh, well, if someone's on the other end of a handheld radio, okay, we like the cost, the production cost there is voice acting, but that's it. Um, but of course, it makes sense in the setting where indeed, like these people, actual fire lookouts are out in the bloody woods by themselves for long stretches of time. And the only other communication they have is through radios right um so it was just those two things happened to line up together and uh the details of any of that who henry was who initially she was even called alice as like like delilah's placeholder name was alice um until eventually that became delilah and where all of that came out of was figured out like after just the basic like you're a guy in a fire lookout tower we can't afford to have anybody else there, but we can talk over a radio. Video game. <laughs> okay. That, that's interesting that it comes out of a very kind of practical place initially because it 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 works very well in the end with like what the 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 kind of story is and the kind of place Henry yeah. is, I think. I mean I, I mean there's this thing of because it's interesting because that the the radio or you can apply this to like telephones or whatever. It's a way of connecting with someone, but it also maintains a certain distance because exactly, right? they're not there. So yeah, I, I was just wondering, was that, I mean, that feels like it's something that became quite key to what you were doing with the character, the story that you were trying, well, it feels like from a, for me as someone who's played that you, you may have been trying to walk a balance in terms of having like a connection with the person, but also having like a distance. Does that 
Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was one of those things where, you know, the 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 production practical constraints feed into, okay, what do we want to do, like, thematically, um, mm. which feeds back into more, like, okay, but then we can do this. Oh, but then we... It all, like, at least in my experience making games, very rarely is it, like, you know, just from on high, you have the tablets, and you're like, thematically, the game will be about this. That will dictate these exact mechanics. And I mean, maybe some people can make video games that way. I have never seen it. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly can't do it. Um, but it ended up being the case where it's like, okay, well, this is what we've got. What does that mean? What can we do here? And then just kind of it cycling and feeding into itself. Um, and I think part of it, too, was that mechanic and that way of interaction was, you know, in in conversation, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> with um, that that the kind of the that that archetype of a character that exists, right? I mean, you know, kind of most notably, like your guy on the radio, Andrew. No, I guess it wasn't. Um, what in in Bioshock? Oh, um, yeah, uh, Atl uh, Atlas. Until yeah, eventually, yeah, yeah. you figure out it's Frank Fontaine or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like that voice in your radio, the the voice in your head, which is like an archetype that exists in like tons and tons of video games right there's you know you got cortanas and like all the rest of that were like yeah. okay well very often like that relationship is entirely you know unidirectional right like melee mm. yells snake at you and then like there's like a canned conversation or whatever but it's never like the person playing the video game is never actually in control of that and usually it's just a case where someone's talking to you period and you can never speak back so it was kind of like okay to be reductive it's like what if bioshock but you could talk back to atlas Mm. <laughs> question mark um i think that was part of it too and you know um the prior work that sean and jake had done on at telltale games like those games are very 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 i mean obviously uh they're in the tradition of like conversational you know um graphic adventures that then morphed into being like it's meant to be very evocative of like either literally or presentationally like some other broadcast <laughs> visual storytelling medium right um and so I think, like, pulling in that very, like, character conversation-centric style of, of, of interaction um, was also kind of a influence slash goal. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, like I said, I think it, it just it just ends up working really well. Because the, the idea from the beginning, right, is, like, Henry's trying to get away from something. It makes sense that you want a kind of... Um, um, like a a connection with someone that has a that where you still have a kind of protection uh if that right. makes sense yeah. i think i think yeah. i think i think i'm sure lots of people have had uh some experience or time in their life where they've used some kind of technology in that way where you like you can communicate with, with people and have a relationship with them but the distance gives you a certain yeah protection which is probably sometimes un unhealthy if you, if you uh, do that too much but but yeah there's yes. probably time times where it's kind of yeah necessary um, and yeah, certainly totally, it feels right? like it feels relatable for those characters and the kind of situation and... yeah you, you roll it back to 1989 instead of an irc chat channel it's just a walkie-talkie yeah yeah it's cool um was was there anything uh in terms of just the very, because maybe the answer to this is very, is very simple, but but sometimes it's it's quite as a player, it's quite a simple things to use, right? Like you you 
you mm-hmm. press a button to bring it up and you cycle through some options and you select them. Um, sometimes in, in sometimes when you speak, so for example, I just did I just did an episode which I haven't released yet, but I was just speaking to someone, uh, a guy who made a hand with many fingers. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's got like a no. it's got like a conspiracy conspiracy board thing, like a cork board where you put mm-hmm. like newspaper clippings and stuff mm-hmm. and drag thread, you know, red thread between the between yeah. the things to make connections and like. Classic. Again, very from a player's perspective, perspective very simple. Like you put the thing on, and but he was talking about how you know actually it needs to feel good for like the tax to go in, and he had to think about the sound to use. And the, so mm-hmm. I, I just wondered, is it again from a player's perspective very simple the, the walkie-talkie? Were there a lot of things that you that you ended up being quite difficult in terms of making it work and, and making oh, it yes. feel good? Oh, oh. Oh boy. Wow. 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 <laughs> it's one of those things that like, it seems simple, but it's, I mean, nothing, nothing in a video game is ever simple ever. It's, it's a miracle that any of them ever exist. Even just stuff about like the reticle, right? Think about like, okay, you got this targeting reticle, but also in the game, you know, we have the, obviously have a notion of like an interaction distance, right? So if you're like, you know, 50 meters away from a thing, that's like technically not called off the screen. Okay. But you can't like, if actively target it to talk about it. But then, you know, if it's like, well, should the reticle become active, like only right when you touch the radius? Because then if you're right on the edge, you're kind of flickering and that doesn't feel good. So I'm pretty sure there's like entering into the radius is slightly bigger than the outside. So then you get like the radi- the reticle slightly changes when you're kind of close to a thing, just be like, hey, here's a thing you potentially could talk to, but you need to get a little bit closer to actually talk to it. Just like everything <laughs> from... <laughs> From every single bit of the internet, it's like, how do you control it, right? It's like, okay, well, when you're, it's like, effectively, like, you bring up the iron sights of your radio to be like, okay, I think I'm going to talk about this thing. Okay, but maybe not, right? So it's like, okay, well, you have to be able to target the thing, bring up your, bring up the radio, which is like looking on the iron sights of your proverbial conversation rifle. Um, you see the options, but then it's like, okay, well, then should it be like one, two, three to select the options? And eventually we had like a, we, opted for like a scrolling thing and then it's like holding down the button brings the conversation like selector up but if you release it it goes down because that was meant to feel like the way that like push to talk on a radio does right as compared to most conversation systems in a game where it's like oh well when you open up the conversation tree okay then it's open and it stays open but in this case we wanted to evoke that kind of like hold the button i'm talking i release the button to hear what the other person says all kinds of just like very small considerations like that in terms of just like both to make the thing work and feel good at all (laughs) but then also like have it kind of feel interaction wise a little bit more like a radio and not have it just feel like this because as much as possible right we wanted the game to feel very like tangible like you actually as much as possible were henry you were actually out in the woods there's a reason why the map is like this actual i mean also because basically everyone on the team loves far cry too but the map is like an actual physical map in the world you don't just push an m button and then like a full screen modal just ui thing shows up right um so across the board as much as we could we wanted everything to feel like tangible and present both in terms of how any particular element of the game showed up but also like just even what the buttons you push feel like um i mean obviously you're still you know you're wazding around the woods right uh but looking for opportunities where we could to have the way you interacted evoke what the experience was supposed to be itself just a little bit more. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I I like I appreciate the 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 stuff with the diegetic map and stuff as well. I love I like I I really like yeah maps that actually exist in the game. Uh, yeah, so much that, more satisfying. Yeah, that that map is a, is if you if you you can't flip it over in the game, but if you did, you'd see on the back it was just a love letter to Far Cry 2's map. Um, but since it is diegetic, right? Like it does give opportunities for things like you know there's there's uh, on the first proper like full day of the game you like beef it down this hill and then you have the opportunity to like talk to delilah about the slope you just went down and henry can make some quip about calling it like widowmaker gulch or like the crippler or something Mm. like that but then the next day if you've made only if because you don't have to obviously talk about the hill you beefed it down but if you chose to and you gave it one of those like goofy names because she's like oh i don't even think that hill's on any of the usgs maps you can call it whatever you want henry um so what, if you picked one of those goofy, like, joke names that you see written on the map in, like, handwriting, Henry has put, like, the Crippler on <laughs> on the on the map right where that spot is. Um, which, like, technically you could do if it was, like, a full screen modal. It just would, like, mm. wouldn't quite have the same feel, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm also very proud of our... Was probably... Was thoroughly worth the effort, but was a non-trivially amount of effort <laughs> in-game map. <laughs> Yeah, oh no, definitely worth the effort. I love those maps. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, did, did you have to? Did, did you have to? Did you have much problems or have to put a lot of thought into into? So, in terms of how much the player gets to use the 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 the, the walkie-talkie, because because you're you're okay, you're building a connection with a character, but also you're supposed to be there alone. And the, I, I imagine, uh, my again, my experience is there are times where you want the player to feel uh, like gaps where they feel they're alone. And you, you could end up with a situation where, for example, you did not allow the player to call her whenever you, you wanted to. And um, you would have to have some kind of bit of dialogue where she says, I can't talk right now or whatever, you know, if they could ring her yeah, in a second. Yeah. Or even so, if you let the player talk about too much stuff, then you'd never have mm-hmm. those gaps. So I just wondered if that was a bit of a struggle, like getting that pacing right of when they talk to her, like how much. Yeah, I mean, there end up being basically two um, modes of radio conversation in the game. There's you targeted an object and you want to, or you know, some entity in the world, right? Um, and you want to talk about that thing. Okay, there's actually kind of three. Um, so there's like a thing in the world, you want to talk about it. Uh, so you, you know, you look at like this, the, the, the campfire, the team's left or whatever, right? And you're like, okay, here's a specific thing that if I want to, I can talk to Delilah about this by targeting it. But then we have this additional challenge where it's like, okay, well, we don't want to sign up for like, we never wanted there to be for both practicals just like, oh God, how do we even provide an experience in this that's coherent, but also for some more thematic reasons. We never want there to be just like an arbitrary, like push to talk to Delilah about whatever button, right? Um, but then there is kind of this, we discovered in just trying to make stuff for the video game, that there's this weird like intermediate space where it's like, okay, well, there are going to be things you want to talk about that aren't necessarily strictly tied to like a physical object in the world. So we had to invent this like, okay, there's like spatial subjects of conversation. And then there's like contextual temporal ones where if you remember, there's like a little like UI thing that shows up on the side mm-hmm. of the screen where it's like, talk to Delilah about the thunder you just heard or whatever, where there isn't strictly, cause we didn't want to hem ourselves in exclusively to like, oh, there has to be, you know, an actual 
artifact right here in front of you to talk about, right? Um, and then, completely separate from that, we're like, okay, well, we can't. It can't be entirely player driven either, because it's very hard to tell a story when if 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 the only way you ever interacted with Delilah was by you know holding down the shift button to talk to her about some stuff, one that'd be kind of weird, because um, then she'd just be like this robot that only exists when you decide to talk to her. But also, it's like, well, what kind of story are we telling if the player just opts out completely about talking about anything ever, right? So then there are just places in the game where either you know, based on some space in the world or based on a time thing or blah, 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 that she'll just call you up and be like, hey, Henry, uh, have you blah, 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 right? And so those ended up being like the three modes of interaction. But since we never opted for okay, well, you can just push a button to just, like, have a conversation the way you'd like, you know, if you just, like, in some, I don't know, RPG where you just, like, there's a town full of NPCs and you could walk up to any of them and just hit, like, the A button to talk to them. We didn't want to provide that kind of interaction, and so I think that gave us the, the kind of tools we needed to have a density of stuff to talk about where it was appropriate, but then also have moments of, like, you know, you're just kind of out walking in the woods by yourself, um, to get to a place and usually in those situations you know like a music like the music will come up and then you get kind of those I'm a little bit alone moments um, and that was just kind of like our our tool chest of stuff we could do to, to lay out like okay well how do we want the the conversational density in this chunk of the game to be hmm. did you find it uh, did you find it useful as well in terms of well uh in terms of like as a, as a structuring thing of like in terms of the player i guess in t- i guess it could be you could risk using it as too much of a crutch as well but in terms of the idea of having a play have the player having an idea of where they should be going and why they're going somewhere and <laughs> yeah that was also um a thing that was challenging right where like the game does have I think maybe like in the code, we actually do call them quests. <laughs> I think just because that's just like, that's okay, like the yeah. video game parlance of it, right? Where it's like, okay, go down, like there are fireworks going off down by the lake. And there is a thing on the UI. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was very important to provide an option to turn that off. Um, but there's a thing on the UI that shows up. It's like, go figure out what's up with those fireworks or whatever it says, right? Um, I don't know. And I think that there's like an instinct that some some designers may have where it's like well that's not that's like a thing that exists outside of the video game right and it's like that should you know if, if the game was more like um like more realistic that wouldn't be there and i think that's like a little bit of a of a of a of a, of a misleading uh conclusion to draw because like the number one thing that makes a game feel unrealistic and pull somebody out of the experience is when they're confused right mm-hmm. and that could be about like how the controls work or how the systems work or what to do or whatever. Like nothing breaks the illusion of reality inside your video game faster than the person playing it being frustrated and not knowing what to do. Now I do think that there's like, I mean, this is the case with so many things. It's like, well, I think the best thing to do is somewhere in the middle. Um, but like, cause I think the pendulum can swing too far in the other direction as well. And I think that like a lot of like, especially the, the general, you know, uh, I'm not going to... Just following the Exactly, right? Where it's like across the board, it's like, okay, well, here's a here's the golden line. Here's the objective marker that's right yeah. on your UI. And you don't even exist in the world anymore. You're literally just following the the 
UI marker numbers mm. that are ticking down from this thing is 167 meters away or whatever, right? And I think that's actually very bad. Um, mm. I think it diminish, diminishes like, and I, I try not to say like a bad, but in this case, it's like, oh, I, I think I think the negative qualities it's afford greatly exceed the positive ones. Um, where, you know, you, like people don't, you, like you don't get a sense of the world actually existing, right? There's like this weird learned helplessness Well, where unless people are told exactly what to do, they're like, well, I, I don't get it. How do I play the game now, right? Um, so I think that like with, I like to think that we, we maybe did a good job of, of splitting the difference where, I mean, granted, also there isn't that much density. Like even though Firewatch is like spatially kind of a big game, like there isn't that, you know, there's no like, you're not going to get distracted by a big side quest to go find some weird treasure or whatever, right? Um, so I think us splitting the difference of saying, it's like, okay, we always know more or less like what, what? you're supposed to be doing when you're playing the game but like beyond just a general sense of like where or how um that is less immediately signaled and i think that's not i think it's like maybe a good way to to split the difference right um there is some stuff under the hood too uh because th there are there are a couple of chunks in the game where it's like you do have like a like both a big amount of space to cover but also time wise it's just like there's a lot, there's, it's, it's uh, a long while before you discover like the next significant thing. Right. Um, and there, so, so we ended up implementing some stuff in the game because during playtesting, we discovered some folks got like, they, it was easy for them to like, not everybody, but like enough people just kind of got lost in that bit mm -hmm. that there's like a, like a, like a timer running along underneath, uh, under the hood in the game, where if you haven't gotten close to where the next major chunk of stuff in the game is, Delilah will halt holler at you and be like hey are you heading toward that campfire smoke or whatever right because if so, mm -hmm. so if someone is genuinely lost they can be like okay well i think you should head kind of this way or whatever so you can like uh. if someone is actually not able to figure out where they're supposed to go that they there's like a little gentle in-game nudging um but if they're like yeah no i know where i'm going i'm just gonna look at this weird old firewatch tower that burned down and hear the story of raccoon carter and they're perfectly happy doing that. We're like, okay, sweet, take your time. <laughs> um, and I think that that would be lost if there literally was like, you know, I don't know, a marker on the UI that was mm -hmm. like 70 meters this way to the weird campfire or whatever, right? Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, I think that, that's good. That, it, it's, it's good to, yeah, because I because I played some uh, yesterday just like refreshing myself. Uh, on it. And there, there, there are times where it's like, yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure I'm walking the right way, but like that's, and it's not in a like annoying or fr frustrating way. It's like okay, I'm in the wilderness, and I like the fact that I'm I, and I and I was generally heading the right way, you know. Like it's not, uh -huh. but it's just that little bit of um, yeah, I'm not sure, and it's nice to know that you there is that thing that you're not saying. <laughs> That you're 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 you're, you're giving people the opportunity to kind of find their own way, but it's nice that you're not just going, "I'll oh, screw people that went the wrong way." <laughs> that there is something yeah. under the hood for the for people who've yeah. gone the wrong way to say, uh, "Yeah, give them a little bit of a helping hand." I think that's yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, nice and, it, it. and there's a couple things like baked into the actual structure of the game itself too, where you know, again, it, like one, it's okay if someone feels like, "Man, I'm kind of a little bit turned around here in the woods," but also, like the amount of the game has like i don't know how many people like it feels this way if you play but the game kind of has like a metroidvania structure and this was not an accident um where oh, yeah, the yeah, amount yeah. of like 
like the, the game is like the actual physical spaces you can get to in the world are gated by you getting specific items right but in it's not you never get like a cool double jump or anything it's just yeah. kind of like oh you get this bag of ropes that now you can clip onto these things yeah. but that means that we actually the amount of world that someone can actually access is relatively constrained uh, at any particular chunk of the game. So it's like, you can get lost, but you can get lost kind of just in this other smaller area, and that's fine. Like, you're never going to end up, like, on the complete opposite side of the map and have no idea what to do. Um, and that was both for, like, just how are we going to unfold people's experience thinking, but also very much for story purposes, right? Like, if you could end up in the scout camp on day one, it would just... It just wouldn't make a lot of sense and be kind of weird. I mean, we already had to do so much juggling because like the game unlike so many other first person narrative exploration games walking simulators whatever you want to call them um like almost all of those you are like basically a combination between like a detective and an archaeologist right where like whatever happened in this space has happened and mm. you as the person playing the video game and probably the character in the video game are just there to like figure out what went on um but there's no like plot or story that's like actively infer unfurling in the moment not really right mm -hmm. um but firewatch is completely goddamn different where well you're an active participant in the story like literally it day you know day 42 right um but what that means is that like you know when you see some particular object in the game and you want to talk to Delilah about it, if you're talking to her about it on, like, day one, where you two barely know each other, versus, like, day 78, where all this other crazy stuff has gone on and blah, 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 then the context of that is so different that you can't just play the same voice line, or it would be bananas, right? It just wouldn't make any sense where, you know, the kind of conversations you have with someone who you've gotten to know over the course of, like, two and a half months versus, like, your kind of boss that you met, you know, like, three hours ago, are completely different, let alone the actual context that may be informed by the plot events of the story itself. So there's also all this state management under the hood to ensure that, like, that stuff is coherent. Uh, and so it was also a, an additional perk slash necessity of, like, us gaining off specific chunks of the world. It's like, okay... When someone is in this area, we know that in time, they're either on like day 78 or 79, and that's it. So we only kind of need to cover those situations, plus all the other stateful stuff that may have changed, but not literally the full scope of this entire story from beginning to end. Um, so there, were, there, were, there, was a, there was a myriad of <laughs> reasons why the world is laid out the way it is. Okay. Yeah, that's one of those things that, uh, as a player, I, I hadn't thought of. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the fact that if yes, you, that you you can talk about her to objects, and yeah, like you say, the relationship's going to be completely different uh -huh. amount of time. So yeah, that's, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was that was a thing that we're like, okay, yeah, well, I think probably we're like, okay, yeah, we'll have to deal with that. But then as we were building the game, we're like, oh god, okay, wait a minute, what? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it was it was a it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Did you do in terms of the? Uh, timeline of stuff did you end up having to, to do i presume you had to do the voice acting stuff like towards the end um no uh sort of um oh, just, so... just just to, the, the reason i'm asking is because 
because so much of the because the the radio is so integral to the game in terms of like the stuff we've talked about like the, the stuff like even the structure the way it's delivering the story building this relationship if the voice act, if the writing's not really good and if the voice acting's not really good you've got a big problem <laughs> so yeah yes. that's the reason I, i'm asking um, like if, if if that yeah yeah no i mean it was actually kind of important for us to get real voice in there sooner because like is this game good or not was almost unevaluable until it in terms of like quality and polish was like nearly finished um so the way we built the game was almost like we just started at the beginning and then made like the first day worth of game and then in doing that obviously we had to build all the systems to support that stuff blah 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 blah. um and that included pretty quickly also doing the voice recording for like that chunk of game um fortunately i mean part of the virtue of the fact that the cast is two people obviously minus like the teens and there's a few other like minor folks mm-hmm. but like 98 percent of the of the dialogue in the game is just between rich and sissy um and so like they fortunately you know in pre-covid times they both had home studios that were totally equipped and set up to do so all the recording was done with Rich and Sissy together at the same time, um, which I think made a tremendous difference. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how gener- how broadly this is understood, but like almost all games, it, it's maybe shifting a little bit, but I would still say probably the vast majority of games, like the voice lines are not recorded ensemble. It's just like someone just has the, a printout of like a spreadsheet and they themselves are in a recording booth, like just doing their side of the conversation, you know, and then one two many weeks or months later the person on the other side of the conversation will come in and read their half the lines and they just get blorped together um which i mean that is what professional voice actors have been doing for ages right and it's not insurmountable um but i do think that there is there's there's some there's an intangible quality that you you just get when two performers can play off each other um that you just can't rep replicate asynchronously right uh anyway so we kind of did the voice recording in chunks as the game was coming online we didn't and there was like i think there were like basically like maybe i don't know like four or five like big recording sessions and obviously like if some stuff changed in between like session Mm -hmm. one and session two there'd be some pickups to cover like oh just these few lines are different or whatever but it was like generally big chunks throughout the entire process so that you know we could say that Okay, the first like hours worth of game here is more or less at like shipping quality now, um, and then and then and only then <laughs> was it really a valuable, right? Um, it's not a not really a recommended <laughs> way to make a video game um, because you got to do a whole lot of work before you know it's uh, if it's doing what you want it to do or not. Um, but I just don't know if there was any other way we could have done it. Um, Oh, yeah, certainly yeah. would. <laughs> yes, certainly would have been very stressful if you'd made the whole game and then couldn't find the right voice. <laughs> like you got a yes. voice act and it was bad, or like that would have been uh-huh. disastrous. Yeah. So it's good that you yeah. knew that it was going to work. Yeah, I mean, right. fortunately, um, Sean and, and Jake had worked together with Sissy before because she was uh, Katya and had some, done some other voices with Telltale, and oh, so they right. already they knew she was like exactly the person oh, for. Okay. Alice slash Delilah. The it was the casting of Henry that took 
a long time. Um, but it's something that, like, that was stuff that, like, that work was going on in, like, trying to figure out, like, okay, who's going to do Henry? Like, that is stuff that was being looked into, like, month two of production. Um, and I think we had Rich on board by, like, you know, month three or month four. It was the kind of thing where it's like, we, we know uh, ahead, we got to get this right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's uh let's move on to some some stuff besides Firewatch. I I'm I'm interested. You mentioned to me that you uh you had a podcast, which I I don't know what that's about. Yeah. So I was interested what you what you. Yeah. Um. Myself and a buddy of mine, Jesse Turner, who is now at uh, Clay Entertainment. Uh, oh. we did a. I think if like if you did the entire calendar math, it was like close to four years. Um of a podcast about terminal called terminal seven, which is all about the uh, living card game, Net- Android Netrunner. Oh, um, right. Still the, the, the greatest competitive card game of all time, period, period across the board. Um, awesome. Like I, I have not fallen hard into the competitive scene for, for like almost any game physical or digital in a long time. But we both went, screaming <laughs> screaming down the chute uh for netrunner and it was the kind of thing where we ended up like chatting and playing the game so much it was just like you know we can just record these conversations we're having let was just put them out as a podcast and see if anyone was interested and it turns out like, yeah there was enough people who were really into netrunner that we were able to do a netrunner podcast for a while um and it only ended because uh the company so the this incarnation of the game netrunner it's like a like a remake, re-implementation, whatever, of a late '90s era card game, also called Netrunner. That the the the, the designer of that Gathering, Richard Garfield, also created Netrunner right after. And for a brief window of time, Wizards of the Coast was making both Magic and Netrunner, and then and they also had like three or four other games. There was like Rage or something there too. Uh, but then Magic started go gangbusters, so they kind of just like quietly pillow smothered all the other (laughs) all the other games they had um but uh back in 2012 13 something like that um a different uh board and card game company called fantasy flight got the license for netrunner from wizards of the coast and they like basically like remade the game like there there is like a few there's obviously the the setting is completely the same you know it's like a a near future cyberpunk thing where one person is playing like the cool cyber hacker and the other person is the big mega corporation and the cool hacker is trying to bake it break into Mm -hmm. the company's servers and steal their stuff blah 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 right um the premise of the game is the same but mechanically they have like the very 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 basics are the same but otherwise it's completely different um the Fantasy Flight version is amazing, but because it was literally licensed from Wizards of the Coast for X period of time, uh, when that license agreement ran out, mm. um, there was some corporate machination somewhere that couldn't get the license renewed. So it's just like, mm. oh, we don't have we don't have the license for this game anymore, so we have to stop making it. Um, and with no more game, Jesse and I decided, well, I guess no more hardcore. Oh, yeah. um, it's cool that the game has actually been like it has, still has a very because it was so goddamn good. Uh, mm-hmm. There's still a very active fan community around it, uh, all called Project Nisei, and they've done 
they've continued to do like designs and cards and you can get like like they've done like full-on like sets and they're still running tournaments and stuff um and you can basically do like print on demand order these cards for costs and stuff like that it, it, it's very cool that the fan community has largely kept the game alive but jesse and i decided that like with the game officially ending at this point we were both getting extremely busy with other stuff anyway so we're like yeah Okay, maybe it's not. It's nice to be able to okay say it's like oh, we have a specific chapter that we can end this mm-hmm. on instead of us just getting like increasingly busy and being like, oh, now we're only putting out an episode every once a month, then once every two months, and then we just kind of stop one yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was much better to be like, okay, we can close the book on this in a way that yeah. we're happy with. And the game went like, obviously, yes, people are still playing the game, but where the game went out, it was like in such a good place. Um, it's unfortunate that it ended, but if it has to end, I'm glad it ended that way and not just in Instead like the... out, yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, now, I, I don't know how much you'll be able to tell me about this, given that like, you haven't officially announced like a game that you're working on or whatever. But yeah, I just, I just so you, as I mentioned at the beginning, so Sunderlust Studios is, is your studio now. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know if you can tell me a little bit about that. As like I said, you you haven't officially announced the game, so yes, I guess you're not going to tell announced... me what your game is. But um, but but yeah, world exclusive. <laughs> um, uh, no, um, yeah, uh, no. What we are working on is, uh, oh man, what what exactly did we uh call? What did exactly did we say on the website? It's um, we're creating an unconventional systems driven narrative game. Uh-huh. Um, the the I've discovered I think um, this wasn't like a, like a conscious decision per se, but I think that a lot of my design interests, or at least like not nah, interests as well, um, are like taking a, a, a style of game that exists, but is maybe like and there's stuff in there that I find like really beautiful and interesting. But it has some stuff about it that makes it harder for some other groups of people to see what in there is so compelling. Um, This was kind of my objective with uh, Mark of the Ninja, where I love stealth games. I have always, this is like something about them, the the dynamics and the pace of the world. Me too, me too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the way, like, it's all about, like, most, you know, games where you're driving an avatar around with a mouse and keyboard or a, or a, a gamepad like they're games that are very reactive right you know like you walk into a room and then ah some dudes show up and they try to shoot nathan drake or like mm. you know you got to jump on platforms in mario but the platforms are already there like waiting for you and you just need to react to the the donut bridge falling down or whatever right um and stealth games are kind of unique in that they're all about being proactive right like again in this case it's also maybe form following function but like when the premise, when the game is predicated on like, well, you're sneaky, so people don't know where you are, mm. then by definition, the world needs to have its own mm. like autonomous characteristics, right? In a way that like a lot of actiony games just that's just they don't need that. Mm. Um, that means that like fundamentally, the dynamic becomes like, okay, well, you can observe what's going on and then kind of like plan two or three steps ahead, mm. um, and that's like a, kind of a unique way that character-driven games are and i think that's very interesting um and so ninja was just like me writing a love letter to stealth games but in a way that like you know maybe there's a way to create a game like this that is able to show other people what about those games is so compelling in a way that's like maybe a little bit more like inviting Mm -hmm. right not in like a dumbed down like uh baby's first 
you know, Tonka toy version of stealth game. Like, I don't think, I think that does a disservice to both the mm. people playing it, the people making it, and, like, what that style, genre, whatever, um, mm. is compelling, right? So it's like, okay, well, how do we how do we create a game that exposes the stuff about stealth games that is so interesting, that captures those fundamental dynamics, but just gets people there faster, right? Um, and so that's where things like, okay, well, you know, you can kind of pause time whenever you want like whenever you target something you see physically on the screen this is how big the noise radius is going to be um a lot of that stuff was motivated by okay well how can we just get people into that like proactive planning understanding mindset as quickly as possible right um it was obviously firewatch was i mean all games are incredibly collaborative firewatch was I think a lot collaborative across everybody but i mean maybe you know i think we tried to do at least for me i was kind of maybe subconsciously think in the back of my head it's like okay how can we get more people to engage with like a walking simulator type game in the same way right because i mean i don't know if it was like if this divide of like people like or hate stealth games was like as stark with walking sim walking simulator mm. whatever first person narrative exploration games in like 2013 2014 but maybe right um and so I think, you know, some of the decisions we made about, like, okay, there is a world that sort of unfurls as another character that's very, like, at the forefront. There's this active story you're engaging in. You're not just doing, like, mm. cultural anthropology and what mm. happened in this weird old house or whatever. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's plenty of those games yeah, that are sure, rad, yeah, right? Sure. It's more yeah. just like, okay, well, how do, we, how do we get people into that experience of you're a person in a space, like being very embodied like how do we make that stuff more compelling right um and so again it wasn't a super conscious decision to, but it's happened three times now i'm like okay maybe there's a pattern here uh what we're what we're trying to do with the game we're working on right now at sonderless is kind of similar where you know very systems driven emergent narrative games that live so, so, kind of somewhere that we're like well it's kind of a strategy game but it's a very story driven game too and then but like the, the, the plot and the story is an intersection of what the person playing the game does and the systems that are in the in the game itself and like how the characters inside the simulation act and behave. It's like, okay, there's something interesting there, right? But these games also tend to be like people really like them or people look at them and go, oh God, that's oh God, that's not for me. Yeah. Um, so we're like, okay, well, how can we get at the stuff in there that's really good and compelling without making it, you know, you need to watch seven hours of youtube tutorials and read thirty thousand words of wiki pages to maybe even begin to think about how to play this game mm. um that's what we <laughs> hope to accomplish we'll see <laughs> okay cool yeah sounds like it'll be interesting yeah yeah but yeah it sounds yeah uh, it, it, it feel yeah maybe i don't know feels like maybe a, a bit of a because if you think the last two games you've if in terms of Firewatch and Mark of the Ninja they they they're, they're quite different in terms of yes. like <laughs> well very different like yes. yeah in terms of like the 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 of, of how narrative focused Firewatch is and like Mark like you say Mark of the Ninja is all like yeah systems like um yeah for anyone who hasn't played it it it, it does again i imagine this this is saying again this is like you probably you don't instinctively think about as a player but i imagine it takes a lot of work which is it's very good at uh communicating lots of information to you through the through the ui like in terms of yeah. 
if if so that you know instinctively um if i stand here if i do this here that this person's gonna be able to hear me if i do this then this person's gonna react in this way which again yeah. i imagine must be very hard because you, you could also that could also be so much stuff on screen like i don't understand like what all this means or like uh, uh yeah um but yeah I, I don't know if there's a yeah it feels like maybe you're going somewhere in the in the middle with, with, with what you're doing now perhaps <laughs> in terms of the narrative thing and the that, yeah, that's kind of the idea. I mean, I, a, a smarter person than me would be like, you know, just do something that's kind of like the thing you did before right. so that you have a better idea of what to do. <laughs> and me, an idiot baby, is like, what if the opposite of that, though? Yeah. <laughs> what if it's just learning to make a new type of game every single time? I don't think it's a very good idea. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But this yeah. this is my lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, is that for yeah for anyone who's for for anyone who's who's interested in, in what you're doing uh, next? Is there any particular where where should they follow in terms of uh, yeah keeping an update um, on? Yeah, the the where the the best update channels are going to go. There's a newsletter link which I think actually may be broken, and I need to fix that. <laughs> um, but sandralustudios.com or sandralust.horse, uh, those both go to our main studio page. And there is um, a Twitter account, even though Twitter is a, a bad thing that makes the world worse. Yeah. Um, it is a, a useful way for disseminating information broadly. So when things are fully known in public, that will be there. And I think um, before too long, we'll start you know cranking up the engine of like, Okay, here's actually what a video game is going to be. Yeah, um, those are probably the best channels for now. Cool. Okay, well, it's been uh, been really fun to to talk to you. Uh, yeah, thanks Paul, for thank thanks for so coming much. on to yeah, thanks for coming to chat with me. Absolutely. So that's the end of my conversation with Nels. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as I mentioned at the, the top, if you'd like to see the the kind of video version I made, uh, kind of delving into the the radio from Firewatch, you can find that. Uh, if you just search, search get object on youtube you'll find the channel there um in terms of stuff that's coming up uh you may have noticed that uh i've kind of been quiet for quite a while in terms of putting stuff out um i started a new job like a few months ago which um yeah uh, that among other things kind of put a bit of pressure on my time and uh, yeah I was trying to do too much in terms of doing this uh these podcast versions the writing the videos the utopian horizons my other podcast and yeah I just um couldn't do it all. so that's why it took a long time for me to get this episode out uh, and the video um so yeah being realistic, I don't know if I'm going to do any more of these, at least like for the time being, because I've kind of realized I have to stop because I don't have the time to do it. Uh, so yeah, I'm not uh, exactly sure um, what I'm going to be doing next. What well, One thing I have decided, I'm going to close down the Patreon. So because basically i don't want to be so if you're if you're subscribing on on there thank you very much but like i don't want to be taking money from you when i'm not really doing anything and if i kind of put out stuff at a very slow pace then 
yeah, I'm not going to be happy with that. I, I, I don't want to kind of, yeah, there'll be kind of pressure there to deliver stuff for you because I'll feel bad that you're giving me money. But but realistically, I, I, I can't do it at the moment. So yeah, I, I'm not saying like, I'm not going to do anything more with uh, with GetObject, but um, it might be a bit slower and, and I'm not going to use the Patreon anymore because yeah, like I say, I, I just don't feel comfortable with you guys generously giving me money when I'm I'm not giving you anything in return, which is realistically how how it's going to be for for now. Um, so yeah, that's pretty vague in terms of what I'm going to be doing, but I, I'm not sure myself. But yeah, thank you for listening to this and and thank you for for reading the stuff I've written and and doing the the videos. And maybe there will be more, but but just a, a lot slower pace uh, I, I think re realistically if I'm going to keep going I might just have to focus on the writing aspect but uh, we'll see what happens we'll see what happens um, yeah so thanks for listening for now and I will maybe see you again at some point bye